0: Would you please open your Bibles to 1st Samuel chapter 1, 1st Samuel chapter 1 over the next four months leading up to Advent, we will be in 1st Samuel and then next year in 2023, we will continue in 2nd Samuel. So we're going to be spending a lot of time in this book over the next couple of years. I've titled my sermon this morning, A Barren Beginning. I have a few reasons for choosing this title. First of all, the first reason is really obvious. The main human character in 1 Samuel 1, you'll know this if you read it ahead of time, as I've encouraged you to do, the main human character is Hannah. And we're told in verse 2 of this chapter, that Hannah had no children. So the book begins with a barren woman. And you know what that means. A barren woman in a Bible story? (laughs) That means that God's about to do something big. And that leads me to the second reason I chose this title. The big thing that God is going to do is to place David on the throne. God is going to enthrone David. He's going to establish a covenant with David. He's going to make a promise to David that one of David's sons will always, everlasting, eternally be on the throne. And David, as you probably know, points to Jesus who is... The eternal King. So as you come to 1 Samuel 1, you expect to hear about this big thing. The birth of a king. But in 1 Samuel 1, there is no mention of a king. Instead, we're introduced to a relatively obscure family that is hard to even pronounce their names and a barren woman. Instead of hearing of the birth of King David, we learn of the birth of Samuel. Now Samuel, as we'll see in the weeks to come, will be instrumental in establishing the monarchy. But we'll have to wait 16 chapters before David's throne is even mentioned. It's a barren beginning. But a very important beginning beginning all of the chapters in between this chapter and chapter 16 and even really beyond are preparation preparation for Israel preparation for us to understand that God is king and preparation for Israel to understand that the kind of human king God wants on the throne is very different than the one that they were expecting. They needed a lot of preparation. And that leads me to the third reason I've chosen this title, A Barren Beginning. Israel was barren. Israel needed new life. Why do I say that? Well, allow me if you will to set the stage before we jump into the first chapter of this book. In our English Bibles, you'll notice on the left page next to 1 Samuel, Ruth is the book right before Samuel. But in the Hebrew Bible, Samuel comes directly after Judges. And so Judges sets the stage for Samuel. Look at the last verse of Judges, it's just a couple of pages to your left, the last verse. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There's the summary of the book of Judges. I won't rehash the whole book. You can go on our website and listen to those sermons if you're so inclined. Suffice it to say, things were bad in Israel during the time of the Judges. We're told repeatedly that Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They worshipped idols. They engaged in sexual immorality. And their leaders were the worst of the bunch. As we turn to Samuel, you'll see hints of this same stuff going on because it's taking place during the same time period. Even in our passage this morning, we see the spiritual blindness of Eli and were introduced to his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. These were worthless men who didn't know the Lord. These are the leaders in Israel. Worthless men who didn't know the Lord. They made a mockery of worship to God and committed gross sexual immorality. So what's the setting for 1 Samuel? In those days, there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right In their own eyes. Israel was barren spiritually and they needed a king. Hannah was barren physically, and she wanted a son. And here's the point of connection. The way Hannah dealt with her barrenness is instructive for Israel and instructive. For us, She shows the way forward. She teaches us what the true people of God ought to do when everybody else is doing what is right in their own eyes. Does that seem to be relevant to our day? Hannah teaches the people of God how to respond when there's a vacuum of spiritual leadership. Do we see that in many of our churches today? She teaches us what to do, quite simply, when God seems to be withholding His blessings in your life. And she teaches us what to do when God provides for the needs within your life. And so with that framework in mind, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? We'll be reading all of Samuel 1. And I'll do my best to pronounce these names. There was a certain man of Ramathaim, Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroam, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zoph, and Ephrathite, he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah and the name of the other Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink. But I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to Him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and his house went up to offer the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. I am the woman who was standing in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. My sermon this morning is pretty simple. I have two questions that I want to answer. First, what should God's people do when we face problems? Problems like Hannah faced, but other problems as well. What should God's people do when we face problems? Second, what should we do when God provides? Let's begin with the first question. And I just want to say we will spend most of our time on this question. What should we do when God's people face problems? We find the answer to this in the first part of the chapter, verses 1 to 18. Hannah's problem, or her plight, if you will, is clear. She has no children. But there's an interesting twist to this problem. Her name, Hannah means favored one. Why would somebody who is favored by God in the Old Testament be barren? Was it something that Hannah and Elkanah, her husband, had done wrong? All indications in this passage show us that in the midst of moral chaos in Israel, this family is a godly family. They go up regularly to worship the Lord. Their marriage seems to be healthy and God-honoring. So why? We live in a day when we have medical explanations for why people can't have children. Medical explanations for why some people get cancer or encounter other significant troubling health problems. But even though we can be given a detailed explanation by a physician, don't we still sometimes wonder why? Why has this happened to me? Why has this happened to somebody that I love? We know that we live in a fallen world So if our theology is right, we expect things in this world to be broken and to be bent, not by any fault of our own specifically, necessarily, but simply because we live in a fallen world. But we don't know why God is letting this happen to us or our loved ones. It's simply a reality, a sad reality. The question though, is how will we respond to these types of sad realities? We learn different responses in this story in front of us. You see, everyone in Hannah's family knew her plight. More specifically, they knew that the Lord had closed her womb, that the Lord was sovereign over this situation. Elkanah, we read in verse 5, knew the Lord had closed her womb. It's actually probably why he took a second wife. Because his first wife, Hannah, could not have children and he needed a son to carry on his name. His second wife, Peninnah, knew that the Lord had closed her womb as well. We read that in verse 6. Hannah certainly knew this. But not everyone responded to her plight in the same way. There are three responses that I would like to highlight. The first is Peninnah's response. What did she do knowing that the Lord had closed Hannah's womb? She provoked Hannah. We see this repeated in verse 6 and in verse 7. Just a little side tip. This is one of the reasons why you don't want two wives. We see this tension throughout the Bible. Hannah, I mean, Sarah and Hagar, Rachel and Leah, and now here, Hannah and Peninnah. They're always fighting about who's got the kids and who doesn't. There are people like Peninnah in our day too. I'll never forget a couple in our church, a godly couple, who had cancer. And hearing the story of someone in this church who told them the reason you have cancer is because you're not trusting God enough. Maybe there's sin in your life. They were like Job's miserable comforters. We know God is in control. We know that the things that happen in our life are a result of the fall, but we don't know the calculus. We don't know the specific reasons why God allows certain things to happen in our lives, like cancer or infertility. Maybe people who provoke in such a way are trying to make themselves feel better about themselves. I don't know, but this is clearly the wrong response to the problems that we see in other people's lives. The second response is Elkanah's. If Peninnah provoked Hannah, there's a sense in which he pitied her. Look at verse 8. Why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Can you imagine being a spouse and seeing your wife clearly in the throes of deep depression? would have pity on her. But he goes on to say, Am I not more to you than ten sons? This comment is reminding her how much he loves her. But it's as if he's saying when you have problems you need to count your blessings. You need to think about what you do have instead of dwelling so much on what you don't have. And this is good counsel as far as it goes. But it doesn't go far enough. The appropriate response is found in Hannah. She was provoked. She was pitied, but Hannah, what did she do? She prayed. And this is what the people of God should do first and foremost when they face problems. Here's my point. When we face problems, fill in the blank, we should turn to the Lord in prayer. I want to slow down here and take a closer look at Hannah's prayer. It's not just that she prayed that's instructive for us. It's how she prays. And I see three things in her prayer that are significant for us as we think about going to the Lord in prayer in the midst of our troubles. Or, as the hymn writer said, when it seems as though God's face is is a frowning providence. First of all, we should pour out our heart to God. Look at verse 10. Hannah was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Notice what's on either side of the verb prayed. She was distressed and she wept bitterly. Eli is watching her pray, verse 12, but he couldn't hear her because as we see in verse 13, Hannah was simply speaking in her heart, which is another clue. Her prayer is coming from her heart. But Eli thinks she's drunk. This tells you a little bit about the spiritual state of Israel at that time. The high priest can't distinguish true prayer from a drunken rant. So he says to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Hannah's response to him is very instructive for how we ought to pray. She says, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor drink. But I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. She wasn't pouring another drink in her troubles. She was pouring out her heart before the Lord. This is what we find in the Psalms as well. The people of God pouring out their hearts to God, crying out to Him to help them. Crying out, who cries? We all cry, but children especially cry when they're young. She's crying out as a child cries out. I found something, I I was reminded of something yesterday, some books um, that I read a while back on adoption and orphan care. I'll never forget a horrifying story I read in Russell Moore's book, Adopted for Life. A couple went to visit an orphanage in Eastern Europe. And when they went into the nursery, they noticed the children weren't crying. The reason they weren't crying was because they knew nobody would answer their cry. When we cry out to God, that verb that is used in Scripture, in prayer, we demonstrate that we have Faith that God will come into the room. God will hear our prayer. He will answer our cry. Hannah's prayer isn't the prayer of a ranting drunk, it's the cry of a child of God who believes that her Father in heaven cares for her and will hear her. I found something interesting in Judges yesterday to connect this to the overall theme of this book. Throughout the book of Judges, there's this repeated cycle. The people of God do great evil. God sends a nation against them. They cry out to God, and then He raises up a Deliverer. But with each turn of this cycle, things are spinning downward, going from bad to worse. And here's the interesting thing I found. Right before God raises up the final judge, Samson, we read that Israel did great evil and that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines. And right here, you would expect the third component in the cycle, that they cried out to God for a deliverer. But they didn't. That's the state of Israel in the opening chapter of samuel hannah is showing israel the right way as they face great problems as a nation the thing they need to do is pray they need to pour out their heart before god and so do we second we should plead the promises of god this is a phrase the puritans use to speak of praying according to scripture it's not explicit in Hannah's prayer, but I think there are hints that we need to catch. Look at the prayer, the actual prayer in verse 11. O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me, and not forget your servant, but will give to your so- servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Her first line is critical. If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant. This language used here is identical to the words God spoke to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3.7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen or looked upon the affliction of My people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry. Because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them. The other phrase that Hannah, or word Hannah uses in that first part of her prayer is remember me, forget me not. This is not calling God to wake up and remember what He had forgotten. This is language used of God's covenant faithfulness throughout the Old Testament. God, we are told, remembered Noah. He remembered Abraham. He remembered Rachel. He remembered his covenant with the patriarchs when the Israelites were in Egypt. Hannah knows the patterns of the Scripture and she's praying along that pattern. She's pleading the promises. The Lord sees the afflictions of His people. This is the pattern. When they cry out to Him, He has a habit of delivering them. Now, does this mean that God will fix every problem in your life if you just pour out your heart to Him? He may not. But where else? should you go Then to the one who cares, who hears, and certainly has acted throughout history to deliver His people. We should pray in faith in line with the pattern that we see throughout the Scriptures. We should plead the promises of God. Hannah's prayer should have been instructive for Israel God had made a promise to preserve His people. They should have been pleading the promises of God to remember them. And so should we. And when we do, there's a third thing that happens in prayer. We can receive the peace of God. When Eli learns Hannah's in fact been praying, something he apparently hasn't seen like that before, he says... In verse 17, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to Him. Even though Eli was spiritually blind, he spoke better than he knew. And Hannah, being the godly woman that she was, took the word that the priest was speaking to her at face value. It may have been a crummy sermon, but she applied it nevertheless. She believed what he said, that God would answer her prayer. And so she says, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Hannah, the one whose name means favored one, but the one who in her barrenness wasn't experiencing God's favor, now says, let your servant find favor. She believes that God has heard her And she believes God will answer her. So we read next in verse 18. Notice that this is before God answers her prayer. That she went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. Simply being in the Lord's presence in prayer brought the peace that Eli had promised. Friends, This is what prayer does for those in the midst of problems. What does Paul say? The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus so how do we deal with problems in our life we pray to the Lord that's where we've spent most of our time but let's turn now much more briefly to our second question what should God's people do when God provides for them we're not surprised to learn that the Lord answered Hannah's prayer The tension had been building for 18 verses. The answer to the prayer comes only in two verses. It's as if it were inevitable. This is in verses 19 to 20. Hannah and her family return home to Ramah. And then we read in verse 20, and in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name, samuel for she said i have asked for him from the lord the name samuel sounds like the word asked she has asked and the lord has provided the baron has given birth how did she respond and how should we respond when the lord provides we should praise him with our lips and our lives I get this line from the Book of Common Prayer that I I prayed earlier, a prayer of thanksgiving. The third paragraph says this, "And And we pray, give us such an awareness of Your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth Your praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to Your service, and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days it makes me wonder if the man who wrote this prayer in the book of common prayer had been reading first samuel 1 when he wrote it hannah is clearly thankful to the lord for granting her petition look at verse 24 when she had weaned him she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh." The bull, the flour, and the wine are things needed for a specific kind of offering, a thank offering. So she's showing her heartfelt thanks for the Lord's provision. She also shows forth her praise with her lips and her life when she speaks to Eli she acknowledges that her child is a gift from the Lord she says the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him the Lord did exactly what Eli said he would do then she said therefore I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives he is lent to the Lord Now you can underline all these words if you want there's a play on words going on here. In Hebrew, that word lent is the same word Eli used when he said, May the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to Him. I know that seems weird, but in Hebrew, lent, petition, made are all the same word. It's also the same word that Hannah uses in verse 20 when she calls the boy Samuel because I have asked for him from the Lord. Asked. So now in response to her petition, in response to her ask, Samuel is lent to the Lord as long as he lives. Let me just put this really simply. This is what the author is doing with the use of this language. The Lord has given. Hannah is now giving to the Lord. Hannah fulfills the vow that she made to the Lord. She promised God that if He would give her a son, that she would give Him back to the Lord all the days of her life. And so she makes good on her promises. Let me put it another way. The Lord's been faithful to Hannah. Hannah is now faithful to the Lord. She praises Him with her lips, and her life. All that we have, friends, is a gift from the Lord. George Fouché would be the first one to tell us that this morning. And so when the Lord provides for us, we should be thankful and we should live as though it all comes from God. We should offer our lives as a living sacrifice. A life of worship. Did you notice where this passage began? It began with a family worshiping God. Do you notice where it ended? With a boy, a three-year-old boy worshiping God. This is the proper response to the God who provides. Hannah has so much to teach us about how to respond when we encounter problems and when God provides but just in case you missed it, I want to be real clear here at the end. This passage is not primarily about Hannah. This passage is primarily about God. The book of Samuel is not primarily about Samuel or Saul or David. It is primarily about God. And this passage has been showing us this. At each scene within the passage, we see at the beginning in verses 5 and 6, it's the Lord who closed Hannah's womb. In Eli's pronouncement in verse 17, he says, may the God of Israel grant your requests. Before Hannah conceives, we read in verse 19, the Lord remembered her. And as she offers up Samuel to the Lord, she says, the Lord has granted my petition. Hannah's faith is amazing. Something that Israel needed to learn, something that we need to learn. But it is the object of her faith that should captivate our heart and captivate our attention. It's the Lord working in power on behalf of His people to bring them salvation. Hannah's prayer, Hannah's praise, come because she knows her God. She knows a God who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think. And in Hannah's case, the Lord did do far more abundantly than all she asked or imagined. Her son Samuel... He wasn't the king, but he was a key player in bringing about the monarchy. The Lord eventually did give Israel a king, but even then, God wasn't finished. When King David sat on his throne, he was always pointing forward to King Jesus. God gives. He gives in such a way that just is far beyond all we could ask or imagine. He gave His only Son to die for our sins. This is the God we pray to. This is the God we praise. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not together with Him graciously give us all things? Let's pray. Father, we know that in a world that has gone so wrong that the thing we need more than anything is for You to be King. We know that Your Son Jesus is the King from Heaven. I pray that Hannah would help prepare us to follow Him well. That she would help form in us a posture of humble dependence upon You. Trust that when things are hard in life, You are the One to whom we look. And You are the One who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think. Impress upon us our great need for You. Impress upon us Your ability to meet our every need. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.